Thank you, Mark. I don't know where my, my podium went, so I'm stealing Heather's. Good morning. It's good to see you. It's good to be gathered together this morning. Open your Bibles, please, to the book of John, chapter 13. We just wrapped up a series in the book of 1 Peter. Had a lot of fun walking through the book of 1 Peter. And then next Sunday, we're going to begin exploring the book of Hosea. But this morning, we want to look at John chapter 13. This has been on my heart to share with us, and I can't think of a better time to share it than after 1 Peter chapter 5, and I, I trust you'll see why in a few moments. His closest disciples were shocked. They were confused. They were even embarrassed. They didn't understand in the moment, but Jesus was giving them a picture that summed up the whole purpose of his life and mission. And he was also giving them a pattern to follow. <laughs> Love like this is what Jesus was saying. And it was culturally outrageous. It was personally humbling. And it was unforgettable in every way. So with that in mind, let's look at John 13, beginning in verse 1. Now, before the, pa the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given, him, uh, given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, what I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. And Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, the one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, Blessed are you if you do them. We'll stop there. Let's pray. Father, would you help us? Would you help us by your spirit to grasp what is here before us in John 13? That we would, in humility, listen with open hearts, ready to receive all that you have that you would shape us through your word for our good and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Two things I pray we see here in John 13. First, a picture that defines Jesus' life and mission. And second, a pattern that should define our life and mission. First, a picture that defines Jesus' life and mission. Here at the beginning of this chapter, the disciples are gathered around a table to celebrate the Passover feast. They, they prepared for this event. They rented an upper room. They, they made provision. They gathered food. Picture the disciples gathered around a table, reclining at a table, a low table with mats or pillows. Um, and they're leaning on one arm with their feet uh, sticking out. Uh, this is how they would gather. It's an annual celebration. They're commemorating the deliverance of Israel out of Egyptian slavery and servitude. That's what they're celebrating. This beautiful story of God radically intervening in the history of Israel, providing Israel a way out of bondage. And it's called Passover because the angel, which brought God's judgment in the land of Egypt, passed over the homes of those who obeyed God's command to put the blood of a lamb above their doorposts. Now you can read that story in its full, and I encourage you to do so in Exodus chapter 12. But here the disciples and Jesus, they're, they're gathered in this upper room and they're celebrating that feast. They're remembering God's deliverance and his faithfulness to provide a way out of slavery and bondage. Now the Apostle John, he writes, Jesus knew that his hour had come. He knew. He knew what time it was. His mission was almost complete. It was time for Jesus to depart out of this world to the Father. He knew he was going to die. He knew that he would be raised to life and that his death would be substitutionary, meaning in the place of those he came to save, but also that his blood would be the blood that covers over the lives of those who trust in him, just like the Passover lamb. Jesus is the true Passover lamb. God's true provision of those who by faith look to him, their sins are forgiven, they're cleansed of their sins, the judgment that should fall on us passes over us. It was spent on Jesus. That's the beauty. That's the wonder of, of the gospel, the good news of what Jesus came to accomplish. In verse 1, it says, Having loved his own in the world, he loved them to the end. The word end it means completely or absolutely. He loved them absolutely, fully. So Jesus knew. This word knew, I think it needs to be highlighted, at least in these first uh, four verses. Jesus knew what loving his own completely would require. Jesus knew that the Father had given all things into his hands. So this speaks of uh, the Father's approval of Jesus, his relationship with Jesus, the certainty of triumph and authority of Jesus. Jesus also knew where he was from and where he was going. Speaks of his divinity and his victory. Jesus knew what the devil was up to, what he was scheming, that old adversary. Jesus knew that one of his closest friends, one of his disciples, Judas, would betray him. And it doesn't mention it here, but shortly after this text, Jesus knew that one of his disciples, one of his closest friends, Peter, would deny him. So it's against this backdrop of Jesus' imminent death the deceit of the devil, the betrayal and denial of his closest friends that Jesus gets up from the table and does the unthinkable. What does he do? In the midst of a celebration of deliverance from slavery and servitude, 
Jesus takes on the role of a servant, of a slave. And his disciples, if they were sitting in chairs, would have fallen over. They're reclining around the table. They about fell over. What is Jesus doing? Is Jesus really doing this? You know that nervous feeling you get in your stomach when someone's doing something that you wonder, should they be doing that? And this happens a lot in my life <laughs> with certain people in my life, but I, I, won't, I won't talk about that. Listen, the important thing is this, that we see just how crazy this was for Jesus to, to stand up and, and begin to do this. The, the disciples who'd been following Jesus for three years, they had seen him do the most amazing things. They followed him every day. They learned from him. They devoted their whole lives to him. They confessed him as Messiah, the anointed of God, who would be their deliverer. What is he doing? This, this one who is our king, this one in whom we're placing our faith and trust, he, he gets up, he removes his outer robe, and he wraps a towel around his waist. Here is the literal meaning of what Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5. We learned it last Sunday. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility. Peter writes to the church to do that because he saw Jesus doing it. Clothe yourselves with humility and literally tie it around your waist, drape it over your shoulder. That is literally what Jesus is doing here with his disciples. And they're shocked. They're speechless. They don't understand what he's doing. It is totally unexpected behavior. Apparently, no one had thought about the necessity of someone washing uh, the feet of those who gathered that evening. This was an expression of humility in that day, or of hospitality and humility. But no one dared that night to get up and perform such a lowly, demeaning task. No one dared. That was the role of a servant. Jesus gets up, and he performs this lowly, demeaning task. When Jesus gets to Simon Peter, it's as if Peter's saying, hold up, there is no way that I'm letting you do this. You wash my feet. Lord, do you wash my feet? In verse 7, Jesus tells Peter, you don't, you don't get it now. You don't, you, don't, you don't get what I'm doing here, but you will after. Well, after what? After the events uh, of the next few days. After the events of the next few days, Peter will get it. It'll make sense. But in Peter-like fashion, he answers Jesus, okay, yeah, go ahead, wash my feet. No, he doesn't answer that way at all, does he? You will never wash my feet. Jesus just said, you don't get what I'm doing right now. And he's like, yeah, yeah, you're not washing my feet. Mm -mm. He is shocked. He's confused. I think he's embarrassed. I think he's a little embarrassed, very embarrassed of what Jesus is doing before him. You ever been there? You ever been embarrassed uh, by someone who is declaring their love to you? Maybe in song or poetry or with a goofy dance or a crazy expression right there out in public? And it embarrassed you. Maybe you've been the one who embarrassed someone you love. Or students, maybe you've been hugged for way too long by mom or dad just before you had to get on campus or you were on campus, they're giving you a hug. Or maybe dad rolls down the window, hey, love you, boo. <laughs> I said, I love you, boo. <laughs> Did you hear me? 
That's embarrassing. But this embarrassing, this the embarrassment that Peter is experiencing is a different kind of embarrassment than that. Peter doesn't agree with what Jesus is doing. The way of Jesus right now to Peter, it just doesn't make any sense. It doesn't line up with his idea of how Jesus should be doing things. It's not the first time either for Peter. Do you remember when Peter made this profession, this, he, he professed Jesus as Messiah, the anointed one, for the rest of the disciples? You know, Jesus, they, they were saying, uh, the disciples were saying, hey, people say this about you, they say that, and Jesus was like, yeah, enough about all them. What about you? What do you say about me? Who do you say that I am? I'm sure you could hear the crickets. Everyone's quiet. And Peter says, you are the Messiah, which means he's the long-awaited-for king that we've been waiting for, the deliverer who will, who will bring us out of the bondage of our enemies. And it meant more than they even realized in that moment, confessing that. And he said, you're right. But then moments later, he talked about, Jesus talked about going to the cross and having to die. And Peter's like, no way. There's no way you're going to the cross. You're the Messiah. He had no category for it. And then Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. He called Peter Satan. Get behind me. You, are, you do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of man. Get behind me. Jesus knew where he was heading. He had a resolute mission that he was on to die. And he knew why. He knew what it would bring. He knew the deliverance that it would bring, the true freedom that it would bring. But Peter didn't understand in the moment. So this isn't the first time Peter's not getting it. I want you to think about how comforting it is for me, I don't know about for you, to read past, I mean, sometimes you read like, oh, those disciples, what's wrong with them? No, I read it, I'm like, thank goodness they don't get it sometimes. It's like, oh, okay. Because there are moments where I'm like, God, what are you doing here? I feel a lot like Peter. But Jesus, here's what he's doing. He is performing an act that demonstrates the purpose of his entire life and mission. That's what he's doing. This is a picture that defines Jesus' life and mission. Because his life is a life of sacrificial love and humble service. He came to serve. He came to give. I want us to read about it in another passage in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 10. Check this out. Beginning in verse 42. And Jesus called them to him and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them, but it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. Not came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. If you want a mission statement for the life of Jesus, the ministry of Jesus, this is it. And so what he's doing here in John 13 the night of his betrayal, the night before his crucifixion, the final night of his life with his disciples, and he knew this, what he's doing is he's deciding in a moment to give them a picture 
that would be this beautiful demonstration of his entire life and ministry that they would remember forever and carry with them. And that's important for us as well. Jesus is demonstrating why he came into the world, to serve, to give, this sacrificial love. But he's also demonstrating the reason why he was willing to go to the cross. Jesus was willing to go to the cross for us because he came as a ransom, as a payment for our sin, that we that we would be delivered out of our sin and shame and no sweet reconciliation with the living God. And so Jesus knew what he was doing. And this is a picture, a demonstration of that. It's, it's interesting, but in the Gospel of Luke, Luke actually, um, he reveals that the disciples in this moment are actually arguing about who is the greatest among them. Right there in the midst of the Passover celebration. You've got to see it. Turn with me to Luke chapter 22. So Jesus had said somebody's going to betray him. So there's suspicion brewing among all the guys. You know, who's it going to be? And then there's this argument that breaks out. Who's the greatest? It's right here in Luke 22 verse 24. A dispute also arose among them as to which of them was to be regarded as the greatest. And he said to them, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those in authority over them are called benefactors. But not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest and the leader as uh, one who serves. For who is the greater, one who reclines at table or one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at table? But I am among you as the one who serves. One author writes, Jesus laid aside his clothes of glory to put on human nature in order to wash our feet. Jesus is demonstrating, he's giving us a picture of his life and ministry. If you're not convinced yet, look with me in Philippians chapter 2. In Philippians chapter 2, Paul's writing to the church of Philippi and he quotes a hymn. A hymn of praise. And he says this in chapter 2, verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of, of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So here we see in this beautiful picture of washing feet what Jesus did in his life and ministry, emptied himself, took on the form of a servant, became a human came from heaven to earth. He stepped into space and time and took on the stuff we're made of. To sweat, to smell, to grieve, to laugh, to hurt. Notice what the Father has done, given him the name that is above every name. He's quoting Isaiah chapter 45 here, 
where Yahweh says, to me every knee shall bow, every tongue shall swear allegiance. So which is it, Yahweh or Jesus? The answer is yes. Every knee will bow. Jesus, fully divine. Go back to John 13. This act of washing feet is this perfect illustration of what Jesus has done in his life, what he would accomplish in his death. In less than 24 hours after this scene of him washing feet, Jesus would would be without his outer garments yet again. Only this time he would be hanging naked on a cross. Now it's hard to grasp the depth of, of his love, but it's important for us to try. We were singing songs about his love intentionally this morning. So Peter and the others, they don't understand what Jesus is doing or why he's doing it. But then in verse 8, Jesus says, if if I don't wash you, you have no share with me, no part, no fellowship. This is symbolic of our need. All of us share this need. What's our need? The cleansing power of Jesus. The cleansing power of Christ. This isn't about personal hygiene. This is about our greatest need. Peter was so uncomfortable with what Jesus was doing, but it didn't matter anymore. Once he heard that, once he heard that, it just didn't matter. Not my feet only, but also my hands, my head. Jesus says, you're clean. You are clean, but not every one of you. Judas's feet were washed that evening. Jesus the king stooped down to wash the feet of his betrayer. Just let that sink in. Jesus the king stooped down to wash the feet of his betrayer. Will you receive this love that stoops in humility? Will you receive this love that cleanses completely? Have you received this love? If you have, how is it shaping you? Has it humbled you? Are you seeing this? The divine king of glory stepped into space and time to wash feet? What? And then he took it further and hung naked on a cross for us? What? to accomplish what we could not accomplish on our own? What a picture. It defines Jesus' life and mission. Don't forget this picture of Jesus, the Son of God, washing feet. Second, there is a pattern that should define our life here. A pattern here that should define our life and our mission. Essentially, what Jesus goes on to say is, okay, in light of what I've just done, here's my challenge to you. Follow my example. Now, some people think Jesus is saying we need to literally wash each other's feet. Now, it's fine to express love uh, and service by doing that. That, It's been done to me, and that was very humbling. It was a very special moment where someone that I I felt like, oh, my goodness, you're washing my feet. This is, my feet are really gnarly. I can't believe you're doing that. Um, That was supposed to be a joke. I'm sorry. No one wanted to laugh at my feet. Thank you. You guys are so sweet. I think the pattern that's been set here, I think the mold that we've been given, the example that we're to follow is a lifestyle 
of humility, self-sacrifice, and love. I think that's what we're given here. You can wash one another's feet physically. You can do that as an expression of a lifestyle of, of, of sacrifice and love, a lifestyle of humi- humility. You see, the unforgettable love of Christ, it leaves a, an impression. It should begin to leave an impression in your heart, in your life. It should begin to produce in you a love for others, a love for others that looks like a, a life of humility and self-sacrifice. He says, I have given you an example. Jesus has given us. He gave the disciples an example. If you're a disciple, if you're a follower of Jesus, you have been handed this example from Jesus. And so we have this responsibility to pay attention uh, to what he's saying and then be obedient to what he's calling us to do. Now, Jesus, he knew the revolutionary power of walking in love how completely transformative his love at work through his disciples would be. He knew it. Go with me to John 13, verse 34. Just a few moments later, Jesus continues to teach the disciples about this radical love. And look look at what he says in verse 34. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. That's how they're going to know. That's how everyone's going to know if we have love for one another. This is what Jesus has given us. This is the commandment he's given us that we love as he has loved Go with me to chapter 15, verse 12. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. He's he's, he's okay with repeating himself. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. And he says, you are my friends. So washing the feet of the saints... That became an accepted figure of speech within the church. It became an expression of humble service and love. You can see this in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 10, when there's a list of widows who need to be cared for. And Paul writes to Timothy, and one of the qualifications of these uh, widows is that they would be uh, washing the feet of the saints. And so here's this accepted figure of speech in, in Paul's day uh, of humble, sacrificial service and love. Will we do the messy, will we do the demeaning stuff of humble, sacrificial service and love towards one another? Not not to earn a place with Jesus, but because we have a place with Jesus. When we do walk this way in love, we'll find it is the path of true blessing and human flourishing. Now, it's something we cannot do on our own. It requires surrender. Jesus has given us a pattern to follow here in John 13, but he is first a king, the king, to bow down to. He is the son of God to worship. So we have this pattern to follow. We're going to follow Jesus in this pattern, this life of sacrificial service and and love and humility. But first, he is the king of kings to bow before and the son of God to worship. That's the starting point. Some want to dismiss Jesus as only an example, even 
his death on the cross as only an example. Well, he was a good example. You know, he's a good teacher, good example. And that drives me crazy. Because, listen, if you're just kind of dismissing Jesus as a good teacher, but not truly divine, not the Son of God, like, do, did you hear what he said in his teaching? He's equating himself with Yahweh. He's making himself out to be divine. He's not a good teacher if that's not true. He's something else entirely if that's not true. But if it is true, he's worthy of our attention, of our affection, of our devotion, of our lives lived in humble service, bowed before him. You can't make yourself right before God. You cannot clean yourself up. But he's done that for us. So that now we can walk in obedience before him. Verse 17, Jesus makes it clear it's not enough to know these things or even agree with them. You must do them. Listen, there is a big difference between knowing what Jesus says and doing it. You might be here this morning and say, you know, I hear you. I get what you're saying. I, I, I know what you're saying. And I've, I've heard these words for years. But, but maybe there's been a disconnect. Maybe you've even felt a little guilt not knowing how to do, not, not knowing how to walk. Well, you're in a good place because we're all learning that together. But what we don't want to do is just leave this, leave this on the pages of this book and say, okay, I, I know it. I've heard this. No, we want to walk in it. We want to be faithful. We want to do it. We want to obey. And we can only do that as we're leaning on the power of the Holy Spirit God the Spirit with us, surrendering our lives to God, bowing before Christ as King and saying, God, I can't do this on my own. I want to faithfully follow you in this. I know I won't do it perfectly, but help me to love as you have loved me. What if that just begins today to be the cry of your heart? Living a life of humility and sacrificial love is really tricky sometimes. We don't want to get caught up comparing our humble acts of sacrificial love and service with others. So let, let me encourage us to live so influenced by the pattern Jesus set right here that our sacrificial acts of service become a spontaneous response, an overflow of a heart that's just swimming in the reality of God's love for us in Jesus. You see the difference? I don't want to get caught up comparing our humble acts of service and love as if we're tallying them and, and, then, and, then, and then celebrating them so much so that we're just going to compare them to everyone else's. No way. I just want it to be the overflow, the spontaneous overflow of a life, of a heart that's just swimming in the reality of God's love. I'm so overwhelmed by God's love that it's just the, the knee-jerk reaction. It's my response. It's what I want to do. Are you kidding me? There's stuff on the floor. I'll vacuum it. There's someone hurting. Let me talk to them and pray with them. Just sacrificial love and service. Someone's hungry, let's feed them. Someone's cold, let's clothe them. Someone's broken and lonely, let's come alongside them. Now we can't do everything, not one person, but what can we do collectively? How beautiful is that? There's so much that we can do. And I love hearing about it. I love hearing about things that are happening that we as a church haven't organized. It just happened as an overflow, as a response. Organically, we could call it 
You know, but it's just, it's just happening because the community is a community of people humbled by God's grace and love and moving forward wanting to walk in grace and love. In Philippians chapter 2, going back there, we find this, uh, I've, I've called it the do-nothing, do-all-things sandwich. Uh, look with me in Philippians chapter 2, verse 3. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. And now look at verse 14. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. Do nothing from selfish ambition or vain conceit. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. It's the do nothing, do all things sandwich. And what you find in between is the humility of Jesus. That beautiful hymn that we read earlier of him stepping into space and time and taking on the stuff we're made of. What will be that central fire in our hearts to do the nothing and to do all things? What will be the motivating factor? What will be the strength that we tap into to walk out the do nothings and the do all things? It's Jesus. Looking to Jesus, seeing him central in our lives and his humility and letting that shape us. So the example Jesus gives us should become guide rails of our life and mission. No matter what our vocation is or no matter what our season of life might be, we can ask ourselves, am I mindful of the pattern that Jesus left me? Am I following the pattern that Jesus left me? Am I humbled by the example that Jesus has set before me? Is my love for others a worshipful and joyful response to his love for me? Now, we'll forever be shaking our heads in wonder and amazement at what Jesus has really done, just standing in awe, and that's good. Let me ask you this. Is Jesus your inspiration? When you think about people who inspire you, you read books about, uh, you might even have their poster up in your uh, room, I don't know. But does Jesus inspire you? Is your life one of imitation, imitating him? Okay. Okay. Back to John 13, I want you to picture yourself there around the table. You are celebrating the Passover feast with Jesus. Jesus has just finished washing everyone else's feet, and now he's come to yours. Do you think he would soon forget what he was doing? Do you think he would soon forget what he was showing you? Of course not. Okay, now now picture him handing the towel and the basin to you. And he says this, love like this. I know it's culturally outrageous. I know it's personally humbling. I know it's extremely costly. Love like this. Love your betrayer. Love your enemy. Love the one who rejects you. Love the one who misunderstands you and misrepresents you. Love like this. So in washing dirty feet, Jesus has given us a picture that defines his life and mission and a pattern that should define ours. Let's never forget this scene. And let's remember, we've got the towel and water basin in our hands as we live our lives out here in the city of St. Pete before a watching world. Let's pray.